welcome to Willamette Common Law. This episode is part of our Matters of First Impression series. I'm Professor Kelly Gamble, Assistant Professor of Law and Director of Academic Excellence here at Willamette. Joining me today are the lawyering professors, Professor Sherry Buskey, Professor Stephanie Davidson, Professor Jillian Schroeder-Fenlin, Professor Miriam Warner, and me, Professor Kelly Gamble. In addition to teaching lawyering, Professor Buskey also teaches a child abuse and neglect class and an international children's rights class that includes a study abroad program, most recently in Tanzania. Professor Davison is the director of our law library and also teaches advanced legal research. I also teach professional responsibility and practical writing for lawyers, and Professor schroeder Fenlin, joining us this year will also teach business organizations. Professor Werner is a veteran podcaster, which those of you in her section will learn about. So professors, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. So I like to start with kind of a kind of some warm-up softball personal questions, right? What what do you like to do for fun or what's something that kind of shapes the way you engage with the world? Professor Davidson, how about you? I am a big fan of the Oregon coast. Uh, the rainier, gloomier days, the better. Um, <laughs> and I tend to pick up every interesting pebble or or piece of glass that I find, and most of them end up in my office. So if you come to office hours, you will see lots of uh, pebbles and sea glass. And you're new to Oregon relatively, right? So this was a new find for you, the Oregon coast? Yeah, absolutely. I had never really experienced the Pacific coast before. And Oregon is sort of unique, I think, in that the beaches are mostly public. It's not uh, sort of reserved the coastline. And so you can drive up and down the coast and mostly find access points rather than private development, which I think is super cool. If you're not from here, you should know that my kids call it the cold beach. Uh, the water the water's a bit, a bit chilly. That is but, but the sand is full of full of great sea life and and rocks and shells and things like that. Uh, Professor Buskey, what about you? Oh, I think if you ask me who I am outside of class, I am the one with the backpack headed to the airport every single chance I possibly get. I'm a traveler from way back, and I think there's still so many places that I haven't yet seen that are just on the list for the next time. Preferably someplace warm. I'm a surfer, but not a, I'm, I'm a warm water surfer. Any place where there's sun and there's a beach, that's where I'm headed. Professor schroeder Finland. Yeah, well, I also love the Oregon coast. Um, I grew up in the Portland area and spent a lot of my childhood going to and from the coast. So that's always, I describe that as my happy place. Um, otherwise, I have two young kids, ages eight and three, who um, I spend a lot of time outside with, lots of playgrounds, uh, biking, and I'm becoming an expert on all things Marvel comics through my eight-year-old and <laughs> Paw Patrol through my three-year-old. So, <laughs> oh, We have a, a big Paw Patrol household here. I have a, I have a five-year-old who swears by it. And uh, if you ask him what he wants to be when he grows up, he says a dog <laughs> uh, because he'd like to be Marshall and Marshall is a dog. So, <laughs> Professor Warner. Okay, so I have not made it to the beach because I'm not organized enough to to set aside that short drive time, but I love it. But okay, let's get that out of the way. Uh, I love running, uh, and and lately I love uh, limping. Those two things go together. I oh, also no. 
I know. I also really love cooking and um, just sort of coming off of a high of this amazing charcuterie board that I put together with all sorts of bonus things like lentils. Uh, and I'm in a farm share. I do not grow anything, but I, I love eating things that other people have grown. And I thought about this question a lot because I ask everyone that comes on the podcast to answer it. And then when it came time to having to answer it for myself, I thought, what what do I do for fun? What do I do outside of work? And I, I have three kids. So from the outside, it would appear that my hobby is attending children's activities um, and and falling asleep reading turns out is the other thing that I do a lot of. So uh, I'm hoping to expand uh, for now. That's where I spend most of my time. Uh, okay. So let's talk about lawyering. One of my favorite things to talk about and surely one of yours, we all teach lawyering. And as we've talked about on this podcast, this is the skills focused class where you're really kind of practicing legal analysis and legal communication. It's the practice for our particular sport. Lawyering is also your only small class during your first year. So lawyering classes will have around 20 students as opposed to the two large sections with 60. Lawyering is about developing legal communication skills, uh, right? How do, we, how do we convey legal analysis for a variety of audiences and a variety of purposes, both written and oral, professional and interpersonal? And it's about developing a sense of the kind of lawyer you want to be and your role as a lawyer in our society. Uh, and I'll start this one off. I I love teaching first-year students, and I love getting to be a part of the conversation they're having with themselves about the kinds of lawyers they want to be. So that's one of the reasons, it's a big reason I teach lawyering. Uh, I love helping them develop the skills they need to fight for justice or to keep businesses you know, thriving and, and humming along. Um, legal writing is your weapon for whatever you plan to spend your life fighting for, and legal research can change lives. Professor Davidson, I know, I know you think that. And uh, so can you talk about what interests you in lawyering and what, what lawyering is about for you? Um, I, I'll, I'll jump in. Um, I, I agree with you, Kelly. I love teaching first year students. It's, there's something really special about getting to work with first years. You're sort of trying to figure out what's going on uh, in law school more generally in life. You're having doubts about whether this was a good decision or not. And I like being part of that support system that you have, especially as you mentioned, it's a small section, probably one of the only small sections. So you really get to know us um, and we really get to know you, which makes it a really special dynamic. I also just, you know, you mentioned this is the skills course. So these are the places where we're helping you actually practice those skills that are going to be required when you come out of law school and go to practice law, regardless of what area you practice in. These are skills that are fundamental to being a successful lawyer. And um, it's fun to be part of that and to help you develop those skills and see how some of the more theoretical things that you're learning in your other classes actually apply as a lawyer. It's hard to see it in some of those other classes. Um, and I think it's really fun to take a or I hate to say practical, but it is because other professors would be upset about that. But it's the most practical course you're going to take in your first year and really set you up for your post-law school career. Let's talk about what what kinds of activities, what do we do in class? I'd say it depends on the day. Um, in the fall, we generally, broadly, we spend a lot of time about, uh, dealing with problems in a very evaluative sort of way. Um, and we don't really move into persuasive kinds of advocacy until the spring. So in the fall, 
in my class, some of the kinds of things that we'll do, different kinds of writing exercises, different kinds of, we have lots of discussions about the ethics of lawyering and, and here's the rules and where's the gray area? What can you do? Should you do? Where, where do you put the line in terms of who you are as a lawyer? How do you figure out where that is? Um, we spend some time developing plans around how to interview clients, questions that we're going to ask. What's the, what's the things that we need to know now that you've done some of the research? We do a lot of uh, sort of working in pairs. Uh, you, it's one of the skills that you have to develop really in law school is that once you get into practice, you're going to have to work with other lawyers. And so being able to work as part of a team is something that we spend a lot of time on in the first year. Professor Davidson, how do you approach the course? What are your goals for students? So I sort of approach the course as being um, bridge building between the other courses that they're taking in the first year and the types of writing and research that students have done before coming to law school. So, you know, writing term papers in undergrad is nothing like doing legal writing, um, doing research for um, almost any kind of of paper or project before law school is nothing like doing legal research. And so uh, I approach a lot of the courses being translating and um, sort of making that transition between kind of what you expect research to look like or what you expect um, communication about the law to look like or legal arguments to look like and um, what the conventions are in law, how lawyers are going to expect to see your arguments formatted or structured. Um, it's a very specific way and it's a way that uh, students struggle with in the beginning because they have uh, sort of an instinctive sense about how they think legal arguments should look, um, or they're passionate about it and they want to make this impassioned argument. And as Professor Buskey said, there's an initial phase of having to just make an objective state of what the law says about something. And that's um, that's it's done in a very formulaic sort of way that seems awkward in the beginning to to write, but uh, but it's really necessary because you have to have that objective statement of the law and application before you can um, then argue from it. And I think you've hit on something that's really important: is that you know legal writing and and legal analysis come in a you know a paradigm. We we all use the same kind of format, and it's a tool that we use to communicate with each other because lawyers are busy. And they're not going to read the whole thing. They want to know where in the document they can flip to to find the information they need. And so we share out that that formula, basically, as, as a way for lawyers to communicate with each other. And it's it's hard for students to come in because they said, no, I'm a good writer from way back, right? And, and saying, okay, but just because, you know, using a hammer has always worked for you, if if your boss is expecting a screwdriver, you know, you can't hand him a hammer, and so learning to to use the tools that that lawyers are expected to use is is really kind of what we what we do in the classroom. Professor Warner, what are some of your strategies for meeting meeting course goals? So there's a lot of strategies in here, but my biggest goal, which every single student in my section can meet if they want to, is honestly to just come away from the class with a foundation that they can return to and build on for their professorless future. So, you know, my goals would be 
an open mind, right? You got to figure out how to switch out that hammer for the screwdriver. And then in your professorless future, when you don't have that professor telling you, use this formula anymore, you got to figure out, okay, what's the best tool? Like, are you going to return to your old self and figure out how to integrate it with the new self that was taught to you in law school? So you got to figure that out and 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 being open-minded and, and also being able to to just work hard working hard is hard <laughs> uh, the third goal which i return to a lot in my classroom is uh, really being able to help harness your community to help you in that profession you know that professorless future so relationships with your peers relationships with your professors relationships with your colleagues, at the internships that you'll be doing, the externships that you'll be doing, because better than just you and your own brain figuring everything out is you and your communal brain uh, getting ahead and figuring things out together. So goals would be, hey, how are you going to figure things out in the future? And my strategies would be, one, open mind two, working hard, and three, really building a community that works for you. Professor Schroeder-Fenlon, what do you expect from students in your classroom? You know, it's it's similar to what Miriam was just describing. I think the, the big things are a commitment to growth, you know, understanding that we know that students come in having had writing experience, as Stephanie was saying, which is very different than what we're expecting from them and the the hammer screwdriver analogy and being committed to sort of growing their skill set and trying hard, working hard, as Miriam was mentioning, to achieve that. You know, we don't, as I said, we don't expect perfection. And I'm, but what I'm looking for is I'm going to give you feedback. I'm going to spend a lot of time giving you feedback on all of these things that you're submitting. And I'm looking for you to take that feedback on board and try to incorporate it in the next thing that you give to me. I'm just looking for that kind of growth throughout the semester and the year more broadly. Um, The other thing is professionalism and respect for your peers. Like Sherry was mentioning, it's, I do a lot of team activities, working in pairs, a lot of in-class sort of, you know, working through an exercise. And the only way that works is if everybody has created sort of this respectful atmosphere where you're not afraid to fail because you will, you know, you're not going to be right every time you answer something. There isn't necessarily one right way to answer most of the questions or to approach legal writing. I mean, we have our fundamental structure, but within that, you know, there's not one right set of wording that you need to be using. And so I'm looking for students to really foster that atmosphere where everyone feels safe and is just committed to learning and bettering their writing. And I think that's that's something that all of us do a lot. We do a lot of, you know, group work. We do a lot of teamwork. And I think we, our activities tend to to vary in class, right? There might be some, some lecture, there's going to be partner work, there's going to be in-class writing, there's going to be group work, there's going to be out-of-class writing, there's going to be short pieces and long pieces and sometimes puzzle pieces. I do a, I do a puzzle every once in a while. And, and it, uh, there's always one student who hates puzzles and, and makes it very clear to me that they hate puzzles. Uh, but I will continue to do some puzzles where, where you're really having to learn what are the building blocks of legal writing and, and can I identify them in pieces and then can I put them where they go so that I can then you know, draft them from scratch and I can understand the job of each sentence. That's something I talk about a lot is that every sentence has a job. 
And if you can't figure out what the sentence is doing in, in furtherance of your goals, it doesn't need to be there. So, so I think there's a lot of variety in lawyering and each of us approaches class in a slightly different way, but we're all there to, to, to help you figure out how to really do the work of a lawyer so that when you go to your summer job, you know, right after one L year, which is, which is, you know, less than a year from now, you'll start that um, you have the skills you need and you kind of hear us in your head a little bit telling you, you know, this, I know how to do this. This is great. This is work I can do. So let's talk for a second about uh, students who are successful in our classes. What do they have in common with each other? I think the students who've been the most successful in my class tend to be really open to the the kind of vulnerability of knowing or not knowing what's going on at any given point. They're, they might be scared because everybody's going to be scared at points about feeling like are you, did you make the right choice? Are you in the right place? Is this something that you can do? But sort of being open to that and and open to learning when you're feeling super confident as well. Um, you know, students come to office hours or seek additional feedback um, who are at the top of the class or who are at the bottom of the class. Everybody should be embracing that same amount of you know, desire for continuous uh, improvement and feedback. I think, you know, the students who sometimes struggle the most are the ones who their their fear translates into a, I can't figure out sort of how to learn this material. And so I'm just going to do what's worked for me in the past. Um, and I think continuing to do that is is a mistake. So, you know, be vulnerable, recognize that your classmates are going through something similar and um, and just come talk to us because we are we are very used to talking to students who are you know, at, at all different stages of of learning the material and at all different comfort levels with, you know, with it. So um, reach out and don't, you know, like, don't be a stranger because you're um, feeling like you're, you're not sure what to do. I think for me, first off, I would start at the point of where I'd ask you to define successful. And I think sort of the... <laughs> The way it is in law school around the country, successful is defined by grades. And I don't necessarily see it that way. And I think if if that is your measurement, then you are going to make it much more difficult for yourself than it needs to be. And so I would encourage students to really think about what success means outside of what their GPA is. But in terms of the students that I think who become the most successful in terms of sort of adult learners and the ability to take what they learn in my class and apply it in the next situation that's slightly different, that to me is where the real success is. And the people who can do that are the ones who have sort of this, a variety of different kinds of attributes. I think they, by and large, have a sense of humor. I think they have a sense of curiosity about sort of an intellectual curiosity about well, why is that? Where did that come from? And how would this be different? They have a, a sort of a sense of good cheer about them and a, a willingness to be uncomfortable, a willingness to accept that, oh, this is not like my, you know, senior seminar class in undergrad. And I think they're 
open to new ways of thinking about writing and structure and organization and language that the things that they did in their English classes or their poli-sci classes in undergrad, there are skills that translate, but they're not exactly the same. And I think practically, the thing that separates many of the successful students from the ones who struggle is that the ones who are really successful start early. I think, I mean, we all went to law school too, and we all went to undergrad. And certainly there were seminar papers that I didn't start until two days before they were due. And, you know, at some point in my academic career, that might've even been a badge of honor, but it really doesn't work that way in law school. And the earlier you start on your projects, the better you will be for it. And that's something I've really seen in successful students. The folks who are who are doing the best, both usually both in grades and in kind of personal sense of achievement, are, are the students who learn to approach law school and learn to approach lawyering, not like a class, but like a really great opportunity to prepare for the job that they really want. Right. You get to you get to spend this time figuring out, making mistakes that don't cost someone their, you know, their company or their freedom, right? And you get to do that now. And and students that think of lawyering as a class, those are the students that are writing right before the 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 assignment is due. Those are the the ones who are thinking, how can I meet the requirements? Right. And the students that that end up writing really well, who have really thorough legal analysis, are the ones who are thinking, this is a legal problem. How would I do this so that I can, this is practice for when I get a legal problem that really matters. And, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to draft, I'm going to write a draft. I'm going to go to office hours. I'm going to take advantage of professor office hours, and I'm going to take advantage of TA office hours, right? Lawyering is the, is the class where we have TAs and they have office hours. And students, if if you're, you should come see us, your professors who were, as we've talked about on this podcast, waiting for you to come to the fourth floor and see us. Uh, but but if you even if you don't come see us, go see the TAs because the TAs have been in your shoes. They have been students in our classes. They know what our expectations are, and they can give you feedback on your drafts as well. And students who are multi-draft writers end up having having a better product at the end. It's just that's just how it works in legal writing. And the most successful students, I think, figure that out early. Yeah, I agree. I would um I this is all of this is consistent with what I was thinking of saying, which is, you know, not being afraid to ask questions and, you know, figuring out the students who figure out I need to ask the question, right? And are are open to doing that because it's no fun for you to spin your wheels. We don't want that for you. We want you, Kelly, as you were saying, to, to use us as resources without that sort of billing pressure that might exist if you practice in a law firm or, you know, other time crunches that might exist in, in other um, areas of, of law. So, you know, I think being open to that, being open to feedback too, and not taking it personally, but viewing it as an opportunity to sort of think more critically about, you know, okay, they're giving me this feedback. What does that mean? How do I apply it? Um, and, and learn how to apply it. And so that when I leave law school, as Jerry was saying, you know, I can apply this in a new setting, um, and have that foundation. I think all of, all of that is what sort of helps students is just being open to, you know, 
understanding that they're not going to be perfect on the first try and that this is really meant to be a learning opportunity for them and that they should take advantage of all of the resources they have available to them. That feedback piece is hard, right? Nobody, I don't like when people comment on my writing. I don't want you to read anything I ever wrote, right? Um, but that's also part of part of being a lawyer is trading drafts forever and ever until the deadline comes and you have to submit it. Um, you're constantly trading drafts with other lawyers, making comments on their work. You'll do some of that in our classes. You learn to kind of comment on on peer work. Um, Can I just add one thing yeah, to that? Um, and that's the feedback on the work is feedback on the work. It's not feedback on who you are as a writer. So, you know, we work hard to make the feedback constructive and we're telling you about what will make your writing stronger in practice, what will communicate your ideas better, more concisely, more convincingly for a judge. This is not a comment on you are a good writer or not a good writer or you don't belong here. Um, it, it is purely intended to make the quality and the strength of your of your communication better. Um, so don't I think the, the don't take it personally is really is an important um, important piece of advice. Yeah, that we leave comments is an indication that we believe in your capacity as a lawyer. If we say nothing on your paper and and don't give it an A plus, uh, that would indicate that we we have written you off, which we will never do because that's that's what we're here for is is to support you and and help you to become better lawyers. Um, Professor Werner, what's your best piece of advice for first year success? Right, law school success, uh, you know, kind of out, even outside of lawyering. This is such a tough question. I am going to start with the earlier points we were discussing about what success means. My best piece of advice, honestly, is to find a success that is satisfying, that is not A's for the whole year. Even if you get A's for the whole year, I still advise you to find something, find something that you define as success that is not great. And it should be meaningful, not, oh, I got up every morning and you know, I I put in three hours of work every day. It should be something like I ruled out a potential career area for myself, or I made two friends that I enjoy studying with that I'm going to keep in touch with throughout my law school career. Or, you know, I was afraid and I spoke up five times. I timed myself you know, once in each of my classes, plus one extra time for a bonus, something like that, uh, something concrete, something meaningful, something that's not just easy, that's not going to just come to you. You need something like that to give yourself a feeling of progress uh, and, and completion that's totally aside from what your grade's going to be. Okay. Part two, why do I, I just, say- I want to say what listeners can't see is that everyone's head was nodding here. We record this on Zoom and everyone's nodding. Yes, yes. Find a way to define your success outside of your GPA, which is not to say don't work hard, but it is to say you need to figure out uh, what kind of lawyer you're going to be. And no one's ever going to ask you what your GPA was. They're going to ask you what skills you have. They're going to ask you what interests you have. Um, so I just wanted to to highlight that everyone I'm watching everyone's head go up and down. yes, yes, absolutely. Okay, number two, Professor Warner. Oh yeah, okay. So part two, 
why am I so anti-grade? So I have two reasons here. The biggest reason is statistically, we would be so mean if we advised all of you to go out and get A's because statistically, it is not actually possible. Uh, regardless of how intelligent you are, regardless of how engaged you are, regardless of how hard you work, it is not statistically possible for everyone with all of those attributes to get A's because the law school curve is just really, really hard. So one, we're advising a different kind of success because we want you to have something realistic and meaningful for yourselves. Part two, why aren't we advising you to hinge your success to grades is because grades are so limited. Grades have so little to do with the future you and the skills that you'll be using to establish a career for yourself that's thriving, that's satisfying, that helps other people, that helps you, that puts bread on the table for you and your family. The skill set you're going to need is much wider than being able to turn out a really good law school exam, being able to write a really good memo in a limited time period on one assignment in one class, you're going to need the engagement, the open mind, the hard work, the commitment to learning, and also the ability to work with others and really harness the community uh, for your own future success, your client's future success. Those skills are actually going to get you further than an A in any particular class. Professor Buskey, what are your thoughts about success in law school? What's what's your, your best tip? I think for me, it's really just sort of, it's a long road. And there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen um, first year throughout law school. And I would tell students, it's a long road. And so, <laughs> and, and I mean that in the sense of there will be really good days and there will be some days that aren't so great. And, and regardless of where you're at on that continuum at any one time, I would encourage you to just keep some perspective that as great as it might be right now, there's something coming that's not going to be great. Or as awful as it is right now, it will get better. And so to just not get hung up in the intensity either way at any particular point and just keep in your mind, you know, the analogy to the dash versus the mile or whatever it is. I'm not a runner. I don't know what that is. Just pace yourself, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Um, Miriam, does that work? Is that is that the right running analogy? I don't know. <laughs> I like it. And Professor Schwoder-Fenlin, I'm going to ask you for your your best law school tip, because I know you're not going to have an answer for my next question just yet. No, I, I noted I'm going to take notes on your the answers to your next couple of questions. Um, I think, you know, similar to what Sherry was saying, too, I, I think you need to maintain perspective that you are more than law school, too. I think it can be really easy to get so focused on law school and start thinking of your worth almost in terms of some of these things like your grades in law school or how you're perceiving your performance. And there's so much more to you than that. I was very lucky in my first year of law school, I was actually an evening student. And what I loved about that was that everyone had so much going on, that this was 
we were all in it together. Um, you know, people had families and children and, you know, keeping that perspective that there are other things that are important too. This is just one piece of who you are and what you're doing, I think is really helpful because it sort of helps to foster that idea that we're, we're all in this, that we're all here to help each other. And there, you know, there will be people who ascribe to that less than others, but hopefully you can sort of see it as, you know, we're all in this together. Let's help each other out. And remember that at the end of the day, there's more to life than just law school as well. So let's switch gears to, you know, the the brass tacks, the what do we do when we get to town, right? So I'm going to start with Professor Davidson. What's your best Willamette specific tip? So I'd say my best tip is, of course, about the library. And that's that OSA and the library both have a gigantic, really well-stocked first aid kit that has all sorts of things from antacids to cough drops. Um, so, you know, stop by the front desk um, and and we have those things, but also we have charging cords for computers and phones. Um, and if you leave yours at home and you need one sort of last minute before class, you know, we have those sorts of things as well as games to check out and, you know, adult coloring books. Um, the library is not just the place either where you go to study or the place that you go to pick up a book, but that, you know, we're, we're here to, you know, to help with a, a lots of these other little things that might be uh, kind of fall through the cracks otherwise. It is a, a social and practical hub of the law school, I think. Sometimes I just like to go in and, and chat with folks who are who are in the lobby. I will give this one warning about the library. So many of you, like me, you love a contest because that's how you end up in law school. But I went to the library and they had a contest and they said, guess how many Tootsie Rolls are in this jar? And I said, oh, yes, I will play. And I guessed. And friends, I won the contest. But what I didn't ask was what is the prize for the contest? It was the entire jar of Tootsie Rolls, which I believe were old. And that's why they were being given away. So you always want to ask. You know, the library is really friendly, but then they they lull you into that that sense of safety and then they trick you and they they force you to take a a giant jar of Tootsie Rolls. So so they're mostly nice, but but watch out. We do have candy and the Tootsie Rolls were pronounced the least liked of all of the candy, hence the that. contest. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Warner, what's your Willamette tip? Okay, I have two. One is specific to campus. Once upon a time, uh, thanks to uh, the staff working in our library, I learned about the location of a duck nest in spring. And then I got to go visit the duck nest. It was wonderful. So the duck nest trip, like in the creek across uh, on the main campus? It was actually at a building. But yes, it was a nest for the creek ducks, if you will. Yes. So, and we've talked about that a little bit on the podcast. There's a there's what's called the mill stream that runs through campus. It runs through the main campus, and then it runs right by the the law school. And Professor Warner's. Yeah. So, absolutely. Tip one: there are duck nests if you look for them in spring. And tip two: uh, this I may come to regret, but this is your last chance to wear whatever you feel like. Um, <laughs> And enjoy it and express yourself without trying to like achieve some sort of weird professional look. Um, so, you know, as long as you're wearing, you know, a, a tire that won't get you uh, into trouble, 
um, I encourage you to wear something very comfortable or something very uncomfortable because it's just fun. Layers too. The yeah, layers. Uh, maybe changes rain, rain appropriate in winter. But law school is like your last chance to not have to wear like some court appropriate uh, attire, <laughs> et cetera. So uh, live it up. My last question here is just your your best tip for Salem. A lot of our students are coming to Salem for the first time. Some of them are new to the Willamette Valley. Some of them are new to Oregon or the West Coast entirely. So what's your what's your best kind of local but off-campus tip? Is there a restaurant or a coffee shop or a park or something that you like to do in town that that you would like to share? Well, it's not a secret exactly, but I think it's worth a trip is the Saturday markets that are held. I don't know. They're right there, maybe three blocks from school. It's the Saturday uh, farmer's market, but it's farmer is a, There's a lot of crafts and artisan Yeah, it's goods. kind of an expensive yeah. word for farmer's market. But yeah, that's a that's a good Saturday morning. Uh, Professor Davidson, do you yeah. have, you're new to Salem, so I, I know you've been trying run. out lots of things around town. <laughs> Um, so I have two and they're both sort of off the beaten path, one a little further than the other. I know not all of our students um, actually live in Salem um, and not all of your professors live in Salem. So one of them is a is a Portland area um, haunt. And this is a working pinball museum and arcade in Hillsborough. And you pay a flat fee. I think it's $20 for a wristband. You can come and go all day if you like. There's a lot of other stuff in that Hillsborough area. Um, but I don't know how many hundreds of pinball machines and uh, and they're all in free play. So you play as much as you want. Great brain break if you need to, to sort of, um, you know, change gears for a while. The local one is, um, I think somebody earlier in the podcast series recommended a donut shop. I'm going to recommend my favorite donut shop, which is Dough Hook Donuts, which is out on Lancaster. I don't remember what the cross street is, but they are also at the Saturday Farmer's Market and they have amazing donuts and other pastries. And Professor Warner and Professor Schroeder-Fenlin, you don't live in Salem, but you you have some familiarity maybe with, with the Portland area or a regional, or what's your regional tip? I'm going to let Miriam go first on yeah. this one. She's been here longer than me. <laughs> this is a tough one. I, you know, let me just start by saying, I'm, here's the question I'm glad you didn't ask, because when I was figuring out where to live, I asked a lot of professors and staff about the commute to Salem. And I got a wide variety of uh, minutes in response from which I deduced that many of our professors and staff like to drive far over the speed limit. Uh, and <laughs> so my piece of advice is get find a good podcast. I get so many amazing podcast recommendations from students. So listen to this one. If you're my student, listen to mine. Uh, listen to some other podcasts out there. Like I have some dorky recommendations relating to classical music. Uh, and, and just enjoy because I5 is bizarrely scenic and Oregon is just gorgeous. Yeah, I would. Um, that was sort of what I was going to say is that take advantage of 
the Pacific Northwest has to offer in terms of outdoors. Uh, I mean, you may not be an outdoorsy person. I'm not particularly outdoorsy, but there's so much to see in Oregon. You can be in the gorge in not that long. You can be in the coast in sort of an equal amount of time. You can be in the high desert if you want to go a little bit further. There's just sort of a little bit of everything for everyone. And I would encourage you to take advantage of how close you are because I've just spent the last 20 years living on the East Coast. And, you know, and my husband's from the East Coast, and we've been talking about just how you couldn't do that where we were before. You couldn't be in all these different cool areas. Um, so take advantage of it while you're here. Well, professors, I want to thank you for sharing your time and your wisdom today. We look forward to seeing you guys and getting to know you better. Yes. Well, thanks. Thank you for having us. I'm really looking forward to being at Willamette this fall. Um, I'm back in the Pacific Northwest as after, as I said, 20 years. And I can't wait to, to meet all of you and uh, learn Salem and the campus along with you. That's a wrap on this episode and our Matters of First Impression series. I look forward to meeting you all at orientation. Thanks for listening.